And fair warning, as far as I know, the next time we'll be back, we're eating. <laughs> we're looking forward to the missions conference, being able to be with y'all for part of that, and we're praying for that time as well. In other words, that's one. We're going to be back soon. <laughs> we are looking forward to it. That last song that we just sang, have not sung in a long, long, long time. Uh, what a blessing. So much truth in that song. So many think that there has to be a large number to be doing anything. Uh, you know, the basis of that song is contentment. Uh, if we're where God wants us to be, it's being content with where God has us. And not thinking, well, something bigger, something better, something larger. If you would this evening, please turn to Psalm 16. Pastor Webb was joking with me last evening at church that level four warning for tornadoes. Would you like to go preach at Lighthouse tomorrow evening? <laughs> and then this morning he called at eight o'clock and he said, seriously, could you go preach at Lighthouse this evening? <laughs> And uh, for us, it's a blessing. And I pray that we can honor the Lord and it will be a blessing and encouragement to you all as well. We're thankful to hear that Pastor Byler is on the men. When I texted him, I think it was Monday, and he said no improvement, I thought, this is not good for him to say that. I didn't text him again after that. It's kind of like a lady that is expecting a baby, especially by seven, half, eight months how tired you get of how much longer, how much longer, how much longer. You're already feeling that thing that in your mind, and then everybody comes up and asking that. But we've been praying for him and thankful and rejoicing to hear that he is doing so much better. If you would, please stand and follow along with me as we read Psalm 16 together. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, Thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my God. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is my portion. Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I have, shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is the fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word that you've given to us and the instruction that we receive from your word. We thank you for thy servant David. And Father, for the record that we have, these precious psalms uh, that he wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit. They wrote for praise unto thee, as in this situation, as well as for instruction to those that come after. 
Father, we thank you for the encouragements and the instruction that we receive from this word. And I pray tonight that you just help us to glean truths that we would apply to our hearts that would be able to be used to strengthen us and to equip us as we serve thee. Again, we thank you for the improvement for Pastor Byler. We pray that you continue to strengthen and to heal him. We pray that you'd protect the rest of the family, that nobody else catches uh, this infection either. Father, we pray uh, that even tonight while he's resting, that you would give him some very precious and special time in his fellowship with thee. Thank you again, Father, for the privilege of being here. Father, thank you, though we don't understand how, but thank you for the privilege of serving me. In Jesus' name we thank you and we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As we look at this psalm, several things I want us to look at. First is a plea to God. So often we fall short of even calling out to God as we ought to. We automatically go into emergency mode. And here David starts out with a plea to God. And then we have a record of the relationship here uh, with Jehovah and his saints. We have a record of the wicked. We have a record of David's personal relationship with God and of David's personal expectation. And those last two, how critical it is, we talk about relationships and the aspect of it being a personal relationship. I want us to look at the beginning here, uh, the plea to God that David has. And as David called out, just to show the intensity, it starts with uh, a plea or a command. He says, preserve me, O God. For in thee do I put my trust. And when he called out to God for him to preserve him, it was literally, the word used there literally talks about building a hedge around me to hide me, to give me that hiding place to be able to come to. So often we realize the needs that we have, but we fail to call out to God. As we were singing the first song, take time to be holy. It started out with the very aspect of talking with our Lord. We say, well, God knows what's on my heart. God knows what's in my mind. But in reality, the matter of prayer is a humbling of ourselves because we are consciously turning our thoughts to the fact that we do need to call out to God, that we are seeking Him, and it honors God. The other aspect, and like I mentioned Sunday in one of the messages, so often when we do right, we're doing right to honor God, but there's a result. We're not doing it because of the result, but it's what happens afterward. And when we're calling out to God, what's it doing? It's turning our focus away from everything else that's going on. It's turning it to God where it ought to be. So he cried out, Preserve me, O God. And the name that he used for God uh, is a name that signifies strength and might. He's calling out to the one that he knows is mighty, the one that is powerful, the one that is able to meet and to provide for his needs in this particular situation that he was facing. He said, for in thee do I put my trust. So as he cried out to God, asking God to preserve him, to hedge around him, he also acknowledged to God, which again is partially a preparation of the heart, and it shows where his heart was. When he said, for in thee do I put my trust, that matter of putting my trust is not what we think of so often. <clears throat> I think of trust as being a matter of faith. The word that's used here is to flee for protection. 
So what he was saying to God, preserve me, build a hedge around me, because it's to you that I am fleeing for protection, that I'm fleeing to find the help that I need in this time. <clears throat> so often, especially for men, there's this tendency, well, you know, I'm smart, I'm strong, I'm brave, I don't need to flee. I don't need to hide. I don't need a place to hide. There's a word that defines that. It's called pride. David acknowledged here that he needed a place to hide, a place to flee to. And just to give a picture that we should be able to understand well, the Revolutionary War, it's one of those I can still remember laughing as a kid, thinking how ridiculous. But stop and think about the history behind the Revolutionary War. What is one of the great advantages that those farmers had when they went out to battle against the greatest army? Uh, well, you had Napoleon at that time too, but the great army of England. The redcoats were proper and dignified, weren't they? And they lined up in this straight road to fight. And those heathen backwoodsmen hid behind trees and rocks shooting at them. You know, no cooth, no culture. They didn't know how to fight a war. They won. It wasn't because of cowardice that they were hiding. It was really wisdom. The folly was in the redcoats that were standing there in their nice straight lines and following their dignified, keeping their coats clean and uh, trying to be dignified in the battle fighting those heathen. But really there's a picture there for us as well. We need to be very careful that we don't think that we're so dignified, that we're so great that we can just stand. We don't have to worry. No, we need to flee and hide in the protection that God gives to us. And he gives it that protection through his word. And then after he cried out to God asking for that help, the next two verses we see David's love for the Lord. He said, O oh my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. As we look in our Bibles, we see here that in our translation, there are several words that have been italicized, which means they were uh, not in the original Hebrew, but they were given to us to help to understand as we translate it over into English. And I'll be honest with you, it's a couple of verses that to me, as I read and read and read at took some digging to really come to understand what David was pinning in this portion. And literally what he was saying is, Oh, my soul, my good is nowhere except in thee. I have no source of good of any kind, but in thee. My good is not without thee. So here as he said, Oh, my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord. And notice here, the first time he called upon God, he used the name El the strong, the mighty one. Here he's calling out to Jehovah, the one, that personal relationship, the great I am, that personal relationship. He said, Oh, my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, the crying out of his soul unto God, that thou art, now the next word, Lord, the lower ones, you are my master. Notice what he is identifying here. First of all, the greatness of God and then the position he has with God. 
you are my master. Literally, I am your servant, your slave, is what he was saying. So he's acknowledging not only his humility, but his great need and his obligation to God. My good, not to thee. And literally what he's saying is, I have good that comes from nowhere else except for thee. And without you, I have nothing that is good. That complete acknowledgement to God as he cried out unto him of that relationship. Not only is it the acknowledgement to God, but really it shows where David's heart could come. And how we need to develop in our own hearts that kind of a relationship with mind, that we develop that state of mind that as we see problems, as we see challenges that come into our lives, that we're able to rest, we're able to hide in that truth that Jehovah God is my master, my Lord, and that all of my good comes from Him. That means I don't need to be looking around everywhere else for something else. This is interesting. There's more men than there are women in here tonight. How many of you like truly like to shop? generic split except for maybe one or two. My idea of shopping is go in for what I'm looking for. Home Depot and Lowe's, some, you know, certain stores are a little bit of an exception. Uh, but if I'm looking for something, I really like to have my mind made up. I really don't like to have to go looking for something and try to evaluate a whole lot of different ones because I find something that's really good in this. Now for you ladies, it may be, well, I really like this dress, this skirt. Well, I really like this dress, this skirt. You get some of them bring them home. You end up not liking any of them and they all go back. <laughs> Shopping for a car or for a house. I despise, I, I really dislike. Shopping for either one of them. Uh, it, it, I'm thankful for God's provision. But I really do not enjoy it in the least because it, well, what about this? No, maybe this would be. No, maybe this would be better. Is that double-mindedness? Well, what David is talking about right here of his relationship and his trust with God is where we need to get in our daily relationship with God. That we come to the point that when challenges or difficulties arise, whether real or perceived, that I know that all of my good and all of my hope comes from God. That really gives us then the foundation then that I can use this for the foundation. And I don't have to start evaluating, well, yeah, this, but now if this would just work out this way, it really could be good. It really could be a sweet situation for me. No, as David said, all everything that is of good, his absolute contentment was in the Lord. And that puts an end so many of the struggles. It wasn't in uh, anybody else or any kind of relationship that was going on. And then we see also David's love for God's people in verse 3. But to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. David's love for God's people. And it's a direct result because of his love for God. The sequence that we go here, because his love for God was right. He has this love for God's people. Literally, he said, my delight is in the saints that are in the earth to those that are excellent. Now, the matter of saints, there's so often um, a worldly joking about saints. You go to the Catholic Church and there's their so-called 
saints that are established. But we need to understand that saints are those that are sanctified that are set aside unto God. It's everybody that has accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And if you're here tonight and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, you are a saint, as David was talking about here. It's uh, not something that somebody else designates or sets uh, forward for us to have or to understand. And it's not something that we joke about. So to the saints and to the excellent, uh, corresponding to the saints, he said, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent, in whom is all my delight or all of my pleasure, the, that that he desires to be with, those that he sign, finds value in being with. So we see because of David's love for God, his delight is his, his delight is his relationship with God's people. It's one of those things again in our personal relationships. Who is it that we seek to have a relationship with? Not somebody because they're successful, not somebody because of their position, not even somebody because of their generosity, not somebody because of their sphere of influence, but those that are godly, those that love the Lord. But to carry the extension a little bit farther, remember saints are those that are set aside, that are called out. Pastor Webb has started a series, last night was the second night from, uh, we've been in Ephesians 5 and Romans 1 so far, but it's the matter of walking circumspectly and the fact that we need to identify sin and to call it out. As we see situations in our society, in our governments, if we're not careful as Christians, we begin to compromise on this very principle right here. David said he delights in the saints and the excellent, but those ones he delights in. And as we see all of the political turmoil that's going on, Sometimes we come to the point of saying, well, you know, so-and-so is a sodomite. So-and-so is an adulterer. So-and-so is this. But they'd really be a good leader. They're conservative. Do you know what we've allowed our hearts and minds to do at that point? We've compromised on this. We're starting to delight in those that are an abomination to God. Do we have saints our elected officials? I'm afraid not in most situations. We need to pray for their salvation. We're thankful for those that do hold to biblical principles, but we need to be careful that, that we're not looking to them to be the ones to spare things. And then again, that matter of saints, those that are set apart. Uh, somebody that I've been talking to just recently uh, is knows that they need to leave a church that they're in, that their grandparents, and I think even their great-grandparents were in. It's a Baptist church by name that goes back to 1803 is when it was founded. Probably from Shubal Stearns uh, and Sandy Creek and an uh, off-branch from that. And I had been doing some research on the church and found out that they've been discussing that they need to identify God as being non-gender. And the person I was talking to is struggling with, I know I need to leave, but somebody else saying I need to stay there to help things go on. So as we talk through things, I said, from everything you've told me, 
I would say very, without any reservation, your pastor's not a safe man. And he acknowledged that he is not. And then as we talked on about some more situations, he was talking about the assistant pastor and some things the assistant pastor's involved with. And then he called the assistant pastor's name, Virginia. And I looked and said, Virginia is your assistant pastor? Of that, or the assistant pastor of that church? Yeah. And I said, well, that's unscriptural in and of itself. And he said, I know. And then he made a reference to the lesbian deacons in the church. I said, the only counsel I can give to you is flee as quickly as you can from that situation. So, you know, it's not even those are in positions of leadership in the church. Yet what happens, so often children are brought up in church situations, and some here may have been brought up in churches that were not sound, and to think, well, these are some of the godly leaders in the church. But when we look at God's word, remember what David said, first of all, that anything that's good is from God only. And when we come to look at that, are they truly a saint according to what God has defined? <clears throat> so David, the second aspect as we look at that, as he said that, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight, you know the protection that is given to you when your relationships and your fellowship is with those that are truly born again those who before God stand as saints, as excellent individuals, it removes a lot of the influences that's going to cause temptation and cause struggles in your life. So we have those work relationships and neighborhood relationships, but that's not where your focus is as far as establishing relationships and spending free time. So David was able to cry out uh, as he was crying out to God. Really, as he was giving this, it was a matter of giving thanks to God, as well as giving instruction to us and giving testimony of his own life, <clears throat> of why he did have any hope and why he could call out unto God. He wrote in Psalm 119, verse 63, and I know that all of you memorized Psalm 119 not too long ago, so all of you probably brought it right to mind when I said the verse number, right? Psalm 119, verse 63. I'm a companion of them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. You really have that set in your heart and your mind as you're seeking who you're going to have your companionship with. Not just those that profess to be a Christian, not just those that are in a church, but those that truly fear the Lord and those that keep God's precepts. Then he went on to say regarding the wicked, Their sorrows shall be multiplied, that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. So after he talked about those with whom he does have companionship, uh, he talks about those that are in rebellion against God, the wicked. And uh, one of the first things when we think about that David clearly identified, he said, their sorrow shall be multiplied, that hasten after another God, their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. He was identifying that there is a contrast between the wicked and the godly. 
the wicked don't want to be identified as being different. They want to identify that we're all the same. We're all working toward the same end. We're all working for the same goal. I just finished yesterday reading Luke in my New Testament reading. And as I was reading the account, as Jesus was brought before Pilate, and then Pilate sent him to Herod, and Herod sent him back to Pilate, one of the things that I noted as I was reading that was, first of all, it talked about how Pilate and Herod actually hated each other, but they had a common enemy, and it says that they came together around that common enemy. Do we see that happening today in real life? But one of the other things I noted was talk about the woke movement, the cancel culture. As I was reading what they were saying to Jesus and the mockery that they were making, that's the epitome of what we call wokeness today in our society. And in that, it helps us to realize the spiritual warfare that's taking place, but also the comfort it should give us if somebody starts attacking us that way. What did they do to my Lord? And to realize they're saying these things. They said it 2,000 years ago to Jesus Christ himself. The matter is, let's do right. And what David was saying here as he came to this point was contrasting the fact that there was the wicked. And one of the things that wicked seek to do is they seek to find a commonality, something that can be brought in a commonness together. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is broken. David knew that to make this allegiance or this alliance would bring sorrow to his own heart. But notice what he said to them. Their sorrows will be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer. So their sorrows are going to be multiplied. He said, I'm not going there. I'm not going to allow that relationship. I'm not going to allow there even to be a drawing together of a commonality nor take up their names into my lips. That not taking up the commonality doesn't just remain silent either. It does mean identifying that there is a difference. And we need to be careful because so often by silence we give the appearance to somebody else of agreement or of accepting what's going on. That matter of not taking up their names into my lips, we need to be careful how quickly that happens in our own verbiage. And I may have shared this here before. Uh, one of the very common ones, and we're approaching April has Arbor Day and Earth Day, both in the month of April. And it, Earth Day is centered around a religion. It's a religious matter. But even in this generation, within the last year, I remember around Earth Day seeing billboards up uh, regarding Mother Earth and showing our love for Mother Earth. That's not just a light saying for us to even allow off of our lips. It's blasphemy because it's assigning some, uh, something else other than to God, that which God is worth. And David said, I'm not going to take up the names into my lips. So we need to be very careful. It means we need to be educated, that we need to understand what we're saying and what we're allowing ourselves to be involved in. We need to understand the bumper stickers that we may put on our cars. If you're involved in social media, you need to be very, very cautious of what you're putting likes on or what you're putting a link to. Because sometimes you're putting yourself in association with something you may not even have a realization for. 
But after he identified that difference of the wicked, he said, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. David was able to rejoice in the aspect that God is his inheritance. That's what he's looking forward to. That's our inheritance. That's what we're looking forward to today is what is set before us, our home that is established in heaven. The maintenance of my lot, the one that sustains everything that I have going on, he sustains me step by step. The lines are falling into me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Every one of us in here comes from a different background. As we look at so much of the social unrest that's trying to be created today, much of it's established from people trying to make somebody discontent with what their heritage is. There's probably not a person in here that within one to two generations could go back and talk about how your family faced horrendous hardships and injustices, possibly even in your own life. What happened to Lot's wife when she looked back? She turned into the pillar of salt. And that's what happens when we keep turning back. What is that heritage that David is able to rejoice in? Uh, you know, my guess is he didn't have the best relationship with his brothers, just from some of the reading of his life, uh, mocking him, some of those things that went on. Yeah, how many people carry a grudge because of their siblings? They're 75 years old, but they have a grudge because of what their sibling did to them when they were five years old and they stole their bubble gum. Uh, or some, you know, it's something that in the light of reality is really uh, trivial. It's really ridiculous. But look, look what David was proclaiming. I have a goodly heritage. What is your heritage tonight? Are you looking at your spiritual heritage? Because we're living a spiritual life. We're looking for our home in heaven. You have a goodly heritage. So it's something to rejoice in. And then he declared, in light of all of these things, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. So a declaration here, I will bless the Lord. Literally, I will kneel before the Lord. I will humble myself before God because he has given me counsel. God has given us counsel in his word for everything that we need, everything that we need to know. So to be able to keep that mindset that David had here, Notice again, we're talking about a time of conflict because he starts out crying out with, hide me, build a hedge around me, give me a place that I can flee to to hide. But then he's able to cry out, and really it's a cry of victory. He said, I will bless thee, I will kneel down before thee, because you have given me the counsel that I have needed. Have you ever been going through a situation, and either in reading scripture, or talking to somebody, or maybe even you've been talking to somebody and reading and praying, and all of a sudden you're going down the road. Aha, it hits. And the answer is there. That's what this is talking about. The counsel that we have and the reason to be able to rejoice and to bless God, having that confidence. I set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Notice the next declaration. It's a statement of fact that he's making right here. He said, I have set the Lord before me. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In other words, he's looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of his faith. 
he is at my right hand, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. The confidence that is there, that even in the midst of the trial, I will not be moved, because he is at my right hand. He is the one that is holding me and protecting me. We cannot be plucked out of the hand of God. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. My heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth in the uh, aspect of the protection of his heart and his mind to give thanks unto God. But notice that matter, my flesh also shall rest in hope. That sweet rest that comes to one that is trusting in God explicitly and completely, of not having to be in anxiousness, in fear, in turmoil. Fear ensnares so many. We have no excuse to be fearful. I was listening or reading something recently, and one of the points that it brought out was the fact no Christian is going to be able to stand before God and say that I could not do what I was supposed to do because I was shy, because I was intimidated, or because I was fearful. Now think about that a minute. I don't know who the most shy person is here tonight. I'll tell you, I probably am by nature. Nobody could be more shy than I am. We cannot stand before God and claim an excuse because of being intimidated. He's a whole lot bigger than I am. Now anybody can bounce 20 feet and come back this quick. Might be strong. Uh, but there are those that would be bigger even than Andrew. And there are those that may say, well, I'm fearful because of how big or how powerful of what influence they have. The government says, you have to do this. It's contrary to scripture. Are you intimidated? Or are you going to do right? In the matter of being fearful. Well, not a one of us that's safe has that excuse. Because the Holy Spirit is dwelling within your heart. The same Holy Spirit that gave all of God's word. They can strengthen and empower and also forgive when we do fail and to strengthen us to go forward. So he said, because my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth, and the only reason that's the case is because of these verses that we just read, the statements of fact. He had the right relationship with God. He had knelt before God in his heart, and he was trusting God's instruction that was given to him. My flesh also shall rest in hope. We have that hope that we can rest in. Regardless of the circumstance, that's how Paul and Silas could be singing hymns chained in a prison. Could I do that? I feel right now I can't fathom doing it. But I know my God is able if that situation were to arise. It's a matter of am I going to surrender my heart to be obedient. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. This uh, verse was actually quoted by both Peter and Paul recorded in the book of Acts. It's a, one of those twofold statements by David. It's prophetic. Peter and Paul both use this in identifying that Jesus was Messiah, is Messiah, as they were preaching. But it's also a statement of fact that David was writing regarding the hope that he had before him. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell to be absent from the body. We can say that now in this age of grace, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When I was in graduate school, one of 
a cubicle next to me was a Scientologist. He was looking forward to going to Berkeley for his doctorate. They were expecting their first child, and he was very hopeful that they would move before the child was born because there's more Scientologists in California than in South Carolina, what he called the Bible Belt. And he, they believe that after you die, your spirit goes and you take another life and another life, and he traced himself back to somebody in the revolutionary period of time. He, that many lives back that he had traced his own life back. And during that time, I was diagnosed with what they thought was possibly terminal cancer. And it was a period of time going through some tests before we knew what was going on. I drove Irv crazy because I go and call him Pop. I said, just think, Pop, if what you believe is true, and if this turns out to be terminal cancer, I could come back as your child. Just drove him crazy uh, in the process. I knew that if it was God's time for me that I was going to be present with the Lord, but I was using it to uh, aggravate and pester him to show just the absolute ridiculousness of what he believed. Well, David here was able to write, and we're able to rejoice in this truth and to say to ourselves, for God will not leave my soul in the grave. It's not a matter of once I die, that's it. There's nothing else that happens. Thou will not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And here again, the prophecy of Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave in eternal life, but also that blessed hope for us that we know one day our bodies are going to be snatched out of the grave if we go to be with the Lord before the rapture. And we're going to be present with him with perfected bodies. And then in closing, the rejoicing that we stand on, Thou will show me the path of life, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there shall be pleasures evermore. This is something that we may pray with thanksgiving to God. It's something that I say, I want this to be the hope of my life. And it can be, but there's only one way that it can be. And it's to follow the outline of what David has done here in this psalm. That crying out to God to preserve me. And then for me to flee, to hide in that place that he has given to us, to acknowledge the conflict uh, with the wicked and to refrain from that, to pull myself from that. But that submitting myself to God and trusting in God. And he said, thou wilt show me the path of life. That word show, shoe, I'm not even sure if I pronounce it correctly. I pronounce it show, it may be shoe. But the word there literally means declare. To make known. So he was crying out to God with that confidence and really a matter of thanksgiving. I know that you will declare unto me that you will make known. And the form of this verb is not just that he's going to do it one time and you better catch it or you're lost. It's in the imperfect form. It means it's something that's going on continually and continually and continually. You know, I need to be reminded continually and continually and continually. And it's something for each one of his children that David is calling out that you will continue to show me the remainder of my life. For you as a child of God, he will continue to show you. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Thou wilt show me. You will declare, make known unto me the path of life. In thy presence is the fullness of joy. Not matter of... Uh, 
fullness of joy literally needs to be completely satiated, completely saturated, or it's just running out, kind of like the red clay in our garden. When I dig it up, water runs out of it right now. It's completely saturated. That's what your life will be when you have put yourself in this place, in thy presence. And the presence of God is the fullness of joy. And the word for joy here is literally gladness or glee, the joy of the heart that God has given to us. At thy right hand, the right hand being the place of honor, at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. David wrote this millennia, several millennia ago. A man that had been uh, attempts at being murdered by his father-in-law, wife essentially betraying him, I mean, conflict, his sons betraying conflicts that most of us have not endured. Yet notice the declaration that he gave right here of praise to God, in it including one of the precious verses regarding the prophecy of our Lord and Savior coming. And he ends it with that fact that in thy, at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That can be true for every one of us every day of our life. Pray that as we go on into the weekends we serve, that we would spend time meditating God's Word and realize that psalms such as this that are given to us are not given to us just for a uh, boost of vitamin B12 on Wednesday, on Thursday night. It gives through the remainder of the week. It's something to help us to build step by step and equip in our lives that every day of our lives that we know the pleasures that God has for us, the joy, the gladness that God has for us. The world, when they look at us, first thing they should see is not somebody that is talking about all of the conflict in the world. And something that every one of us needs to be challenged on in our lives. And when we meet people in the store or wherever we are and they start talking about all the stuff that's going on, we need to be real careful. And there may be somebody here, I'll be surprised, that can say, well, I never get caught in that trap, I don't automatically go into the politics. Most of us do. But we need to be careful and when we realize it, to check our tongue and to turn the message at that time of what our conversation is. I know my God is eternally on the throne and eternally victorious. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And that I am going to be preserved. I am going to flee. I'm going to be in that hiding place that he has for me. And I'm going to allow my testimony to show forth that before this world. Let's pray.